Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Welcome back to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County podcast. We have returned a little bit sooner than usual because, as you all know, we've got the second part of our in-depth chat with former Rams boss Steve McLaren. I'm Chris Parsons. Hello. And checking in before we launch into part two are the rest of the SBW squad, Richard, Tom and Anton. Um, Coach, I'll start with you very quickly. On a scale of one to ten, what would you say your current lockdown fatigue level is? Well, I think uh, fatigue-wise, probably probably seven, maybe seven and a half. I can't really complain. As I said before, I'm in a very nice house with a, with a nice garden, so it, it's not uncomfortable at all. But in terms of boredom, it's it's really. I think the last week has uh, has hit me hard. So yeah, getting pretty getting pretty stir crazy now in the house. What about you, Tom? Uh, yeah, I'd probably say similar. Uh, I am quite fortunate, but uh, today I've been making a famous landmark out of various bits of plasterboard and wood and bricks for a quiz that I'm going to do this week. So yeah, lockdown fatigue is definitely uh, increasing, I would say. I think that speaks volumes. Uh, well, uh, firstly, thanks for all the great feedback on part one of the McLaren interview. It's been uh, well, it's been received even more positively than I thought it would be, truth be told. But uh, chaps, you've all had a listen. Uh, you've relived the innocent climb, as McLaren put it, and the brutal ending of 2013-14. Do you think McLaren's comments are a fair assessment of his two spells? Anton, what did you make of them overall? Yeah, I mean, f- first of all, I really enjoyed the interview. Um, loved how kind of open he was to to share a lot of his thoughts and a lot of his um feedback from the two years from from what i heard i, I thought it was a fair assessment um I, I loved how passionate he still is about derby uh he kind of mentioned that he, he re-watched the forest game a few weeks ago which i i absolutely loved he, he's clearly um a, a derby man and he's got um a, a lot of good memories from the club which was really nice to hear yeah, I thought he I thought he came across relatively relatively uh, sincere and 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 candid. He was probably more open than I expected him to be because obviously there are lots of ups and downs in in that tenure or his tenure at Derby both both times as a manager. I think he probably missed the point on a f- maybe a few of your questions, Chris. I think he didn't really address. He, he I think he explained quite nicely for us kind of the, the Bryson decision in the playoff final. He explained his logic behind it, but I don't think he maybe quite understood just the feeling that Craig. Bryson has towards him and maybe the fact that they obviously don't see eye to eye so I think he either dodged out I didn't quite get the question but I thought I thought fair play to him for coming on and, and answering all of your questions as, as, as best he could I thought he didn't really dodge anything deliberately I don't think yeah I totally agree with what you're saying there Kutch I thought it was a really interesting insight I'm just interested though is comments about Newcastle like the criticism that everyone had at the time when the speculation was will he join Newcastle was the fact he didn't come out and say 
that no, he wasn't going to join. But even in the interview to you, Chris, he said that he was focusing on the day-to-day and then he would see where we were at the end of the season. To me, that that was the problem, the fact that he was going to see whether Derby got promoted or Derby didn't get promoted. And that pressure seemed to weigh on the squad from sort of January, February time, and we completely fell away. And that's that, for me, was one of the biggest problems that, um, that we had under McLaren at that time. He didn't stop that Newcastle speculation at all. And we talked a lot in that first part of the interview about his uh, favoured formation, the 4-3-3 under McLaren. And when it worked, it was glorious. There was amazing football. But at the same time, there's definitely an argument to say that under McLaren, we didn't really have much else up our sleeve if it didn't work. And if teams did start to work us out, which they did. Um, Anton, do you think looking back and with our, our fifth guest, Captain Hindsight stand, stood next to me. Do you think McLaren was a bit too tactically inflexible at times? I think during the first spell, I, I didn't particularly have a problem with him uh, sticking with the same formation. I mean, he mentioned himself in the interview that they kind of worked on that formation so hard and they had the players that fitted that system really well. He, he spoke about the importance of the, the defensive midfield Piver and also Chris Martin as that number nine, bringing everyone else into play. So the the players fitted the system and it balanced really well. And we just focused on our own game rather than the the opposition. And when we played our best, we would beat anyone in front of us. So I don't think there was a problem there. When it came to the second spell, there there probably is an argument for that because because by the time he came back round, obviously. John Eustace was gone. He was about 42 by that point. George Thorne was on his kind of fourth season-long injury in a row. Um, Chris Martin was out on loan at at Fulham. So those really key players in that system weren't available to McLaren. So I I know he did say he was kind of waiting for for the following season, but he he should have potentially had um, a few tweaks to to the formation. Um, We we could have still played in the same way, but um, given the change in personnel, um, he he could have, in, in hindsight, changed things a little bit. One of the most contentious issues around his time at the club seems to be, should McLaren have been sacked the second time, which we did uh, ask him about. And he referred to it as uh, reactionary. He told me it was, uh, he felt it was a knee-jerk decision and he was shocked and surprised. Coach, we were in a truly dire run of form in that second spell when he went with an expensive squad. Let's remember, even if McLaren said that they were a group that had talent, but they didn't play as a team. I mean, for you, was that second sacking fair? Uh, it's difficult, isn't it? I think I feel like probably second time round, uh, there's already been already been a lot of water under the bridge, and I think probably the patience was probably obviously less there for him than it was the first time. I think also considering how the uh, his first spell kind of fell off fell off a cliff at the end of that season before he was sacked and went to Newcastle. Um, I I think Mel probably v- had viewed it at that point as McLaren couldn't turn round. Uh, a struggling team like when it's good it's going really well but when it's going badly he doesn't know how to turn it around so I think there's a bit of that involved probably I think I mean Rowett made you know we we made an impact later on in that season we recovered a little bit and then we had a good season after the season after so I think probably it was the right decision to sack him I mean that 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 Brighton day was was horrendous right up there with some really really bad away days we've been to so it probably was the right decision I'm someone who is kind of sympathetic towards McLaren but I think probably it probably was uh, the right decision I would probably have said, Tom, maybe it's the fact that I spoke to him and maybe I was, I was under a spell or whatever, but despite how badly it was going, that maybe he could have been given till the end of that season, um, given how knee-jerky we'd been even in the months before that. What do you reckon? What's your verdict on the end of McLaren's second spell? 
Yeah, I, I can see that argument, Chris, but I, I do sort of tend to lean more towards what Kutch is saying. You talked in your uh, in the interview about the the stats that he had, I think 13 wins in his spell or 15 wins, I think it might have been. So he had eight games in a row that he won and then he only won seven others as a maximum for the rest of his spell out of 29 games. That eight-game spell really skews the statistics and without that eight-game winning spell where, let's be frank, if you look at some of the results, we did get lucky in a couple of those games. I'm just thinking Wolves away where we were we scored some great goals in the first half, but in the second half, we rode our luck. And realistically, the defensive problems that we had that season, we conceded some horrific goals in that season. So yeah, I can understand why he was sacked and that 3-0 defeat at Brighton uh, was akin to the 4-0 defeat against Villa as one of the worst performances uh, that we'll have seen a, as a Derby fan over the last 10 years. On with part two then. But uh, before we crack on though, if you did enjoy uh, part one of our interview with Stephen Parron, all that we ask is that you uh, show your appreciation by either leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or that you subscribe on Spotify or SoundCloud. But uh, we've banged on for long enough, enough from us. So here for a second time is Steve McLaren. Three years on, Steve, from your departure from the club for the second time just before we move on to the Jim Smith years looking back how do you reflect on those two managerial spells um that's a very good question still Derby County is in my heart still very close to that still follow them um as I say still in touch with many people there a little frustrated I, I would think a little frustrated of not being able to on probably on both occasions um finish the job uh, and get the job done. So a little bit of, uh, you know, I, I would say, God dear, I haven't completed everything that I wanted to do whilst being there. So a bit of unfinished business, really, which is a frustrating in football, but always happens. Um, but fantastic times. And, you know, a great club, great community, great fans. And a fantastic training ground. Got good people in there, good academy running. It deserves, it, it, it really deserves to be in the Premier League. But a lot of clubs in the Championship are saying, well, we really deserve to be in the Premier League. But but Derby too. And, and as we said at the, the end of the last part, that Mel has really put all the resources and all the money in there. And it's not quite worked out. And, um, and, and that's a shame. But I'm sure one day, and I hope in my lifetime they'll be back in the uh, in the Premier League. When you look back at the, the teams you have managed, um, you you know you're from the northeast originally, and you had those five years at Borough, and there was the the spell at Man United, of course, and and the spell overseas. But you did have that connection with Derby County. You played for a season in in the late '80s, and then the, the Jim Smith years. When you were there as manager, do you think it's fair to say you wanted to succeed at Derby as much? if not more than you did anywhere else? Was Derby the place where you wanted to get it right the most? Absolutely. I mean, you always want to get it right wherever you go because uh, that's the person that you are. But, you know, I thought, once I got that phone call, you know, uh, come back to Derby uh, as manager, you know, I could, I was thinking and could see, you know, five years uh, trying to build that football club, which was going to be difficult under the Americans, but always knew that, that uh, Mel was in the background with the resources and the finance to take the club further. So, uh, you know, that was a little disappointing. And I'm part of the problem for that as well. Um, you know, I take responsibility as well. But 
you know, it's a club that you, you're right to more, more to my heart than any other football club that I've gone into when I went into to Middlesbrough, when I went into, uh, you know, even 20 going abroad. Not the same affinity as Derby. And, and I've got to say that team, you know, in that first season, that spell going in from that Ipswich game all the way through to Wembley, for me was the, the type of football that we wanted to play. And I remember going to the championship and it was hurly-burly and I wanted some control over things. We brought that and it's great to see that over the years that type of football has really blossomed in the championship. And I think, you know, we were the first ones to kind of take that uh, with that derby team. Young exuberant, played great football, some great games, great goals, great excitement for the fans and very, very close but for one slip um, nearly in the Premier League. Let's take things back a few years, Steve. I wanted to to have the bulk of this second part of the interview about the um, the, the time when you were assistant to Jim Smith in, in the mid to late 90s. A word on Jim Smith to start with, who very sadly passed away at the end of last year. There's no doubt he had a huge influence on your career. You joined him at Derby in 1995, helped him guide us into the Premier League in his first season um, before you then joined Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United. How much of an influence did the Bald Eagle have on your future management style? <laughs> uh, Jim, yes. Influenced me. Wow. Um, a great deal. Introduced me to uh, red wine <laughs> in the first three months. Uh, what a character. Um, and, and really, what, what he built at, at Derby, you know, I had that experience. And I think that was coming back that, that first time, you know, it was kind of going back in, into to Jim's day when, when he produced a team, played great football and got out of that championship. And that's what I wanted for, for Derby and we dreamed of that. Uh, Jim achieved that and he achieved that through some fantastic management. His signing of, of players was unique. Um, he brought foreign players, players in. But I think the key thing for me was that although, you know, people called him, he's too old and he's old school, far from it. He was into every innovation. He wanted everything, fitness. We're the first ones with fitness. We're the first ones with pros on, first one. First team with a, a sports psychologist in. We introduced so many things into that football club, which at that time were alien. And, and for someone who was described as old school, Jim was far from old school. He wanted everything modern. He looked after players. He was brutally honest with everybody. And that was his strength. Yeah, we, um, we, we've heard before from when we interviewed Daryl Powell a couple of years ago that he said that Derby were one of the first clubs in the country to adopt ProZone and it was at a time when the game was really changing in England in the mid-90s. Like, How much of that came from you personally? Was ProZone something like your idea, like something you wanted to bring into the club that you thought could improve our players? Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we, we always used to go to, to gym with ideas and I think it was the thing that we couldn't really buy big, big players but we have to treat them well and so... Bringing these foreign players over a lot with Stimach, Sanovic, Iranio, people like that one shot, they, they expect the best. They expect good treatment. They expect good coaching. They expect 
to be looked after off the field. So we had to do it. Uh, and Jim knew that. That was his strength. He knew that. And I was always into innovation anyway and different things and doing things in a different way and being different. So we blended very, very well. And, and we created, um, you know, talk about some of the football we played um, in that spell with uh, like Sakio, Bryson, Martin, Hendricks and Will Hughes and, and all them. But, you know, some of the football we played getting up from the Championship and in the Premier League and moving to Pride Park was still some of the best that I've seen. And we've spoken quite a lot on our own podcast because we're of that age where we grew up with the team that, that went up in the late 90s um, about how cosmopolitan Derby's team was at the time. You had, uh, you know, like of Poom, Lawson, Stimach, Wanchop, Iranio, etc. Like what, from a coaching point of view, what do you remember about trying to coach that group of players who came from all over the world at the time? Yeah, we, we struggled when we first started. We couldn't, we couldn't win a game and uh, we were really in trouble. But Jim, through his connections, somehow managed to sign Stimach, uh, uh, Asanovic, um, Iranio, and transformed the team completely. They were easy to coach. As long as we gave them... Uh, Structure, coaching was good, uh, the plan was good, it was a good atmosphere. We gave them responsibility, leadership, which they wanted. Um, they would take it on, and, and it, it shows the way Igor uh, Stemach always wants to come back to the football club. It's still a big part of the history of Derby. The affinity that he still got with Derby is, is unbelievable, and that was created by, by Jim and uh, down at the training ground. First at the baseball ground, then Pride Park. Yeah, you've mentioned some names there, like Stimach and, and Aranio, who you said were really easy to coach. But we interviewed Paolo Wanchop um, last season, and he sort of basically admitted to us that he even said himself that he maybe wasn't the easiest player to coach and manage. Uh, is that how you remember him? It was a blooming nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, um, and, and I always talk about it uh, to other coaches, you know. It's, it's the Mavericks that, that, that win your games. Um, and he could win your games. If he couldn't win your games, he'd be out of the football club, but he could win his games. <laughs> you remember against Manchester United, what a fantastic run and finish uh, when we beat them 3-2 at Old Trafford. So we had to handle him and, and it was difficult to handle. It was hard work um, you know, to, to get the kind of standards every day that we wanted. So... The team accepted him, we accepted him, eventually Jim accepted him because he won his football matches and he made the difference. And uh, in the end, it was, I wouldn't even say a love-hate relationship we had with him because at all times, Jim loved him, I loved him, and deep down, I know One Shop did too. And there's a particular incident I think One Shop's talked about where he like he missed a chance and, and Jim went for him at, at half-time and they basically almost ended up trading blows. Do you remember that particular one? <laughs> I remember a few of them. Now there was a few of them taking him off and him not being happy and storming down and we were always in between and, and Jim always says, ah, oh, I'd have had him there but we said, oh, we saved your life there. We got in between. Don't worry, Jim. <laughs> um, but that was the way that, that Jim that Jim was. He, he spoke from the heart and uh, sometimes that caused conflict and friction uh, which sometimes you needed and um, it was healthy conflict, shall we put it that way. And a lot of players 
at that time and, and since, Steve, other clubs have praised your coaching methods and, and have done since. There've, a lot of players have always said about your methods that sessions would be fun, they'd be fresh, they'd be innovative. So I know a lot of our listeners are, are coaches themselves or want to get into coaching or just interested. Like, What's the secret to, to achieving that sort of chemistry in training, do you think? Um, I don't know. I think gosh, you have to... Every training session is, is possibly like your last one. You've got to make it like a masterpiece. So I prepare very meticulously for every every session. But the, I think the key thing is enthusiasm and passion for what I do, which um, is natural for me. You know, when I do something I like, I do it enthusiastically. And that's what I do with coaching. Uh, I want intensity. I demand that. Um, well prepared. And uh, and as you say, I, when I went into coaching, I, I just I said I want to be different. I want to, as I was a player, what did I want? I coached what I wanted and what I wanted in the session, and um, so that's how I've kind of built my coaching philosophy. Um, in terms of I've always been a player's coach. This is what the one I've given them, but they've got to give me also one hundred percent intensity back. And if they don't, then we have to demand that we that we get that. So it's a two-way thing. And I kind of, people say, I kind of come alive on a training field with a set of players and, and the enthusiasm and uh, the way I go about. And basically, I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a coach. I want to make players better. And uh, when you've got that mentality, you've got players who also buy into that. It, it really is fun. Hi, I'm Paolo Wanchop, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. Wanchop, good turn, and away goes Lee Carsley. He's turned inside, is he going to have a shot? He is, and he's going to score two! It's 4-0! Lee Carsley! <laughs> I can't believe it either. What's he doing right up there? Jim Smith delighted. When people look at your career... There's been success. Yeah, there, there, there's there's the silverware at, at Borough, the England job, the, the points record at Derby, even if it didn't lead to promotion, the title in Holland. But I think a perception of you seems to be that maybe you're, you're happiest and you have been more successful as a, as a coach rather than a manager. Um, you, you've done both for long periods. I mean, does that perception annoy you that maybe some people pigeonhole you as, as perhaps a better number two than a, uh, than, than a number one? Um, yeah, because as a, as a number one, uh, I don't see many, I suppose, English managers who've, who's won things, you know, um, who's won silverware. And that, I think that's how I measure um, the success within a, within a football club. So going from Manchester United and in most things there, it was absolutely unbelievable experience. But managing, I think, yeah, as you rightly say, winning a trophy at Middlesbrough. But I think also, you know, rebounding back from England, which was a huge disappointment, um, and going abroad and winning a, a title with a, um, with a relatively unknown club there the likes of Ajax and PSV and Feyenoord, and also getting close, bringing back to England the type of football that we did uh, from Holland to to Derby. I let people judge it. So when you when you look back on your biggest achievements in management, there, Steve, you mentioned 
Man United, you were there when they won the treble. Um, Middlesbrough's first major honour in their history when they won the League Cup in 2004, uh, winning the Dutch League title with 20. Which one are you most proud of? I think possibly the, the, the biggest one would be going to Holland and and winning the title there, all unexpected. Um, also, after the England uh, um, fiasco, shall we call it, um, you know, kind of getting my career back on track and going there, having the opportunity then to you know, to do something which you know, other managers haven't done. And, and I think that's why my, as one friend says to me, the roller coaster king, you're always up in your you're always down it's it's a roller coaster with you I think I just take take more risks and sometimes stupid risks and sometimes risks which I shouldn't take uh, but I've always done that and when you take big risks and risks you shouldn't take sometimes you you fall flat in your face and that's what I've done but um, probably the most thing I'm proud about is is getting back up and and going again um, proving people wrong and so I think that in Holland was was huge for me. Did it feel like did it feel like redemption in Holland after what happened with the England job? It sounds like it did from what you've said there. Yeah, I think I think most definitely, and not redemption in terms, but just gave me um, that self belief back, which I'd possibly grown and grown to get the England job uh, was not bad, but came back and and that self belief grew again. Even to the extent that you know, I would um, I would continue with that and still have great self belief in in my ability. And I guess it's a whole again a whole another podcast in itself. But to touch briefly on England, a lot of people will know what happened there. Um, that there was the failure to qualify for the Euros. Um, how do you feel about what happened with with England? Um, what what do you think went wrong for for the squad at that particular time? Um. Probably change, and uh, not a lot of people like change and like things the same, which it had been. And I brought change, and um, and with change always comes a bit of conflict, which we had. Um, we seemed to have sorted that conflict out, got nice and settled, winning games. But then the, the final game against Croatia was the uh, was the the downfall. So it came too late. If you don't mind me asking, which what particular changes do you mean? No, just in terms of the squad changing, Captain Beckham obviously going to America, out of the uh, out of the team, new players bedding in. So there's a lot of things, and it's always a change when a manager comes in, a new one, whether I'd work with them or not. I was always going to be different from uh, from Sven. So um, you always get a bit of uh, conflict. Um, and it just didn't work out and maybe my inexperience at that time um, was um, was the downfall. I just wanted to wrap things up by taking it back to the present day, Steve. Philip Koku is the man at the helm now, of course, for Derby County, uh, who's had success in Holland, as you have. Um, what have you made of, of Derby this season from what you've seen of them? It's like everything and um, my son Joe, who as I said before, is chief scout there, and I said when when uh, Koku went in, you've got to give him time because um, it will take him time to adapt because Holland is very different from England, and um, and that's you know 
that's the kind of path that he's followed. It's it's been up and down. It's been a bit of a struggle at times, and it's only because he's adapting to to the championship, which everybody needs. I had to do that in Holland. He has to do that coming over to England, and uh, and that's what he's doing. And, and well done to uh, to Mel for for giving that time, being patient, and doing that. I think Rude has been a fantastic signing. I said at the time whether he can do it on the field or not. He'll be a fantastic influence around the ground, around uh, the stadium, but the biggest thing around the training ground, um, influencing the players and got the young squad, young players. Kaku's bedding them in now, and uh, and Rooney's kind of leading them down the right path on the field. So I think the combination since Christmas has been very good, and one in which that if the league ever gets going again. Who knows? Now we have a chance. Yeah, you've you've managed Wayne Rooney at England level, of course, and he's he's as you've rightly pointed out, he's made a huge contribution on the field. But he did sign as a player coach. Um, do you think he's got what it takes in in a coaching role to benefit Derby in the long term? Um, it's it's an interesting question. The strength of of Wayne Rooney is his sheer enthusiasm for football and wants to play, wants to play goalkeeper, right back, centre back, midfield player, winger and forward. So he'd get the ball from a goalkeeper, he'd pass it to himself at full back, run down the wing, give it to the winger, he'd be the winger, cross it and he'd be the one who heads it in. He's, that's the kind of enthusiasm that he's got, that's what he's bringing to Derby. If he keeps that enthusiasm into his coaching, he's got a very, very good chance because enthusiasm um, and intensity goes a long way, as, um, as I said earlier, certainly in my career. And um, if he has that and he brings that constantly, um, he could be uh, a success in that. There are, as there were when you were manager, there, there's a number of, of young stars breaking through into that Derby team now, the likes of Jason Knight and Louis Sibley, Jaden Bogle and, uh, and many more. A bit of speculation recently has linked a couple of them with moves away. Uh, we don't know how much truth there is in it, but reports of, of the likes of Chelsea keeping an eye on Max Bird. Um, if you were at Derby at the moment and in Koku's position, presumably, you, even if clubs offered huge amounts of money, you would still want those players to be staying rather than cashing in on them at a young age. You've got to make a decision whether, whether you're a club that, that produces players through the academy to, to sell on and, and make profit or you produce through your academy to keep them because they're good enough to take your club into the Premier League. That's the, uh, the key thing that you've got to establish from the beginning. And um, if Derby have aspirations of getting into the Premier League and these players are playing well and they can get Derby to the Premier League, you've got to keep them. And eventually you'll get the worth, but the best thing you can do for these young players is is keep playing them, uh, get into the Premier League, um, establish in the Premier League and then sell them off. <laughs> and it's a bit of a tricky one, but we talked about it right at the beginning about being in lockdown and the state of the game at the moment. When you look at the way the season is now, about 10 games to go and no sign of football starting up again, um, the, I think the latest idea is to try and cram the remaining games into 56 days and play them behind closed doors. Um, as, as a football man yourself, how would you feel about the pros and cons of 
finishing the season, but versus no fans being there to watch it happen. If you're in a playoff position, you've got to finish the season. If you're near relegation, you've got to say, well, let's finish it now. It depends where you are at the time. Um, if I was in Derby's shoes, I want the season to start again and and who knows, play behind. You know, There's got to be some sacrifices from some sides if we want to finish the league. And I think it would be a shame for all of football if we finish the league and there's no outcomes to it. And you, what are you going to do? It's going to be very, very difficult. So I think we've got to start the league and finish it again, no matter how long that takes. And just finally, you, you mentioned right at the start you're doing a bit of uh, consultancy and research stuff yourself. Um, and uh, you, you were at QPR for a spell after Derby, of course, and uh, a bit of coaching overseas. What's next for you, Steve? Are you looking to get back into management or back into in, into the English game? Um well, certainly I want to, um, you know, I'm 58, I think. Going back to Jim Smith, he was 58 when he went to uh, to Derby. And, and as he says, that was the best six, seven years of his career towards the end of his. So I look at him as inspiration. I look at Alex, who was about to retire from, uh, from football at the age of 58, uh, but made a U-turn, came back and was very, very successful again for the next 10 years. Um, so they're my kind of inspiration and um, and who knows yeah I'm always looking and um, always researching and always at the forefront of the game and it's a game that you know has dominated my my whole life and one which um, I want to continue well whatever happens Steve and whatever's next for you we wish you all the best and I think I speak on behalf of all Rams fans when I say thanks for the the excitement, the roller coaster, as you put it there yourself, um, regardless of, of where it took us. And uh, thanks so much for talking to us and stay safe and we wish you well. Thank you. And you and to all your listeners. <laughs>